Um, you know, it's exciting for me that of the 10 week series that we're doing on the nature of the church, I will have only spoken four of those times. And don't come up to me and say, why are we paying you, please? <laughs> You're paying because we're going to go back to our normal schedules later on at Christmas and afterwards. But uh, the the exciting part about it is to see the giftedness of the people in this church and the freedom to use their gifts uh, is is means that God is working among you and giving you the motivation to serve him and to build up his body and to give him the glory in his church and even in your individual lives. In this series, <clears throat> Jason started us off in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, and the prophets, and he showed us the word ecclesia, which means a called out body of believers we call God's church. Then Darren took us into the identity of the church. Rod followed that up with recovering love through church discipline. And last week, Mike Bravo took us into body life in Acts chapter 2, 42, in the following verses. Today, we're going to look at how God distributes various spiritual gifts to his people in his church. Now, <clears throat> this is a study that, that if I taught it, it would take four or five weeks to get everything in, especially to help you discover your own gift. And after we get done with Christmas, January, I'm going to do a Sunday school class for anybody interested in discovering your own spiritual gifts. Sometimes they get them confused, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is going to surprise you because there are actually only seven spiritual gifts. Now, I know you're saying, now wait a minute, John, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, there's a big old long list of gifts. I agree with you. But what you have to understand is the separation of the Greek words describing those gifts. Because the word gift by itself as a gift is the word charisma or charisma. And the activities of the Spirit when you are yielded to Him and the manifestations that occur after that are the differences in what the word gift means. And we'll look at that in a minute. But first of all, to identify these seven, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start reading through from verse 3. <clears throat> Let me just say this. If you go out of here today and say, well, Brother John said there's only seven gifts, and the Bible says there's more, so there must be something wrong with that guy. There's only seven charisma gifts. We'll get into the other words in a minute. Romans 12:3. For I say through the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. We being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having then gift, charisma, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, that means serving. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads or rules, as some places it's, it's translated, with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So you see these seven gifts given by the Holy Spirit to the church, and they are what we might call motivational gifts, gifts that cause you to do what you do, that motiv- motiv- motivate you, that, that get you moving forward. And we'll go on 1 Corinthians 12 in a minute. We'll see other varieties of gifts, but they're not described as gifts in the original text. We see them here, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. The Bible says Jesus Christ led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And this is exactly what this means. You are his captive. You have his gift. And what Jason talked about with the children about having a gift wrapped up in such beautiful package and with, you know, beautiful ribbons and stuff and then never opening it is just as, is really a a kind of a nonsense thing. Especially if your parents gave you this gift and it's something, the thing that's inside cost them a great deal and you just take it and sit it on a shelf. Well, for you to have a spiritual gift from God cost him his son. Not to use it. Not to use it. It's like setting it up on the shelf and saying, well, I've got this, but it's I don't know what to do with it. Each of you, each of you has a spiritual gift if you belong to Christ. There's no believer in Christ, not one that does not have a spiritual gift. The problem comes in determining which one is mine, which one is yours. Now, you may ask why I said there are only seven, because the words described in Romans 12 use the correct charisma word. But the words described in 1 Corinthians 12, translated gift in some of your Bibles, are actually different words. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, if you would turn there for a minute. Rod, could you get me a cup of water? I didn't realize how dry I was. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 5, 6, and 7, it says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord, that's Jesus. There are a variety of effects, but the same God, the Father, who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why do I have a spiritual gift? For you. I have it for you. You have it for me. <laughs> I don't have it to, to boast in it. I have it for you. You have it for me. 
That's why the church as a body, if we are all understanding, knowing, and what where we belong in our spiritual gift, that's why we are such a dynamic force in the world. It's interesting here, in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, you see the Trinity here? Variety of gifts, the same Spirit, variety of ministries, same Lord. This is talking about the Lord Jesus. Variety of effects, but the same God. It's talking about the Father, the Trinity is right there. And He's active in distributing gifts to you to use. Now, the first word there, there are a variety of gifts, is the Greek word charisma. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. The word charisma, which means gift. Uh, that's all it really means. It's also, sometimes you see the word charis, and that's for the word grace. But that also means a gift. So in this first word, he said there's a variety of gifts, charisma. Then he says there's a variety of ministries or service, and this is the word diakonia. And it's where we get our word deacon. And it, it means to serve. So there's a lot of places to serve based on the gift that you have. Then there are a variety of effects, and there's two words here. It says, but the same manifestation, or the manifestation is given to everybody for the common good. There's two words there. I like these words. Well, they're not, one of them's pretty much, you know, you're going to understand where it came from. It's the word energema, or energy. Manifestation. And then there's a Greek word, phanerosis, and it means the revealing of something. There's several times where the second coming is, re, is referred to in the Greek as the phanerosis, the revealing of the Son of God. These seven, basic seven gifts God uses in His church to manifest His love. To us, together. I wish we could say that these things operate without sin. I wish that I could say that my gift operates without sin. It does not. We need the blood. <laughs> we need to run to the blood. Blood often. We need to run to each other and ask forgiveness often. But when it's working... You don't have a perfect church. You just have a church who's working well under the headship of Christ. In each case, it's either a gift, ministry, or manifestation. All of it being done by the Holy Spirit. Because basically, he's the gift, isn't he? Peter said to the crowd when they said, Men and brethren, what must we do? Being pricked in their heart, he said, Repent, meaning turn your attention to God's way. Be baptized, which you don't believe, do unless you believe, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So every believer has the Holy Spirit given to him freely. You didn't pay for him. You didn't have to work for him. You didn't have to serve him. He came... Because of the blood of Christ. No other reason. But it's very important to know that there's no person in the church that has all the gifts. <laughs> now, 
I was talking to some of the elders the other night. We had a meeting. We were doing some training together. And I said, look at these seven gifts. Do I have all those? They said, no, absolutely not, especially that last one, mercy. You don't have that. (laughs) I said, but I have a responsibility to demonstrate all seven through the ministries that God has. So there's real joy in exercising your spiritual gift. You know, I come up here on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I, I sit and have office hours, and I talk to a lot of people, and I do a lot of administrative stuff, but that's a real chore for me. But you know what's really delight, what I really delight in? What I'm doing right now. Especially if I'm preaching the gospel. Today we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're primarily talking to believers, but the joy that I get out of my spiritual gift in seeing people go on with the Lord, not just get saved. I mean, I love that. I I, I love being a midwife, right? That's what we are when somebody leads somebody to the Lord. We're midwives. We just deliver the baby. But the real thing is Jesus said in Matthew 28, Go therefore into all the world and make what? Children? Huh? Disciples. That's what's exciting. <clears throat> My gift is exhortation. Come on, let's go forward. Come on, let's keep going. I know you're suffering. Let's keep going. It's worth it at the end. And as you'll see in a minute, exhortation or encouragement has that kind of effect. But I have to stand up and prophesy or proclaim truth. I have to serve Sometimes to the point of even cleaning toilets, or at least unplugging them. (laughs) I have to teach, and I do. I teach. I have to give as liberally as a pastor as I can to be an example. I have to lead. Sometimes I have to rule. Sometimes I just have to be an example. In the sense of that spiritual gift. And I should be doing this all out of the mercy of God. It's his mercy. Not mine. So the real joy is exercising your gift. Your desire to serve is motivated by one of the seven gifts that's been given to you. Personal fulfillment and using your gift is only possible by developing your own Given gift. To attempt to mimic somebody else's gift or someone else's spiritual capability is maximum effort and minimum efficiency. If you try to imitate or I try to imitate your gift, I'm not talking about exercising the gifts as I've been given responsibility to do as a part of the body. But if I try to primarily... I want, let's say, I want the gift of, that Liz has. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, she could probably come and we could work together and discover it. But if I wanted her gift and she wanted mine, we could work as hard as we would, but the Spirit of God would not be in that. Do you understand that? You grasp that? It's maximum effort, oh, minimum efficiency. Ah, but when you are exercising your gift, 
from the motive the Spirit gives you, it's minimum effort and maximum efficiency. You see that? It's really interesting, and this isn't in my notes, but I just want to share this with you. In the Old Testament, when God was setting up the priesthood, he wanted to make sure that the garments that the priest wore were a light linen garment. Because God says in there, I don't want them to sweat. And he goes on to say, God hates sweat. Now, obviously, he doesn't hate sweat when we work hard. But he didn't want serving him to be a matter of sweating. (laughs) He wanted it to be a matter of minimum effort on our part. Maximum efficiency on his part. Do you see that? And so that's why it's important. Failure to exercise our gift weakens the body of Christ. God wants you to know and understand your spiritual gift, and he wants you to understand its function in the body so that you're not lusting after somebody else's gift. There are actual hindrances, though, to really finding out what your gift is. And those hindrances can cause you to be bogged down in understanding your gift. One of them is unresolved problems in your life like bitterness, roots of root problems, bitterness, or other problems such as immorality or things of that type. It can actually blind you to what your gift is. Another hindrance is a lack of involvement in others' lives. You've got to get involved to use your gift. You can't say, well, I'll go over in the corner and use my gift. It doesn't work. You're not. We're a body here. We've got to work together, right? Another thing is an attempt to imitate somebody else's other's gift. That'll, that'll hinder you from really finding out your own. Or a, third, a, next, a fourth one is the failure to analyze why certain activities appeal to you. You say, why do I like doing this? You know, first time I ever preached, my knees were knocking, my stomach was full of butterflies. You know, (laughs) but after it was over, the merciful people that I preached to the first time came up and patted me on the back and said, good job, and they meant (laughs) semi-good because I was brand new at it. But I get excited about sharing what God shares with me with you. But I even get more excited about hearing what God is sharing with you that you can give to me. That's why I've enjoyed this series. I haven't had to stand up here and tell you all this stuff. Able, capable men who, filled with the Spirit, have stood up here and told you what God wants you to know about the nature of the church. And let me tell you something. All of these men diligently studied before they ever stepped up here. Because some of them aren't normally used to doing it. Next week, Mike Caps is going to speak, and he told me, he says, I love doing it, but it, I get scared every time I do it. Well, I understand that. But I'm sure that he has a great sermon prepared for us next week. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit is going to give us stuff that we really need. How do we know that this list of sevens in Romans 12 are the basic gifts? Well, I'd like you to look at something in the book of Revelation. Turn Revelation to chapter 1, and remember 
We read in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a variety of gifts, there's a variety of ministries, there's a variety of energy and manifestations. Variety of gifts given by the Spirit, variety of ministries given by the Lord Jesus, a variety of manifestations, energy given by the Father. Okay, now watch this. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Who's that? No, it isn't. It's the Father. And from the seven spirits, capital S, before his throne, there's the Spirit, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Do you not see the Trinity again? There it is. Listen, the Trinity is all over the Bible without saying, look, the Trinity. (laughs) It's all over the place. And here we see the Father who was and is and is to come. The Spirit described as the seven spirits. Now go to chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 1, and you see it again. To the angel in the church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. So the Holy Spirit is described in perfection. Seven, the perfect number. You know what's interesting? People are always looking for something that's going to reveal the Antichrist with 666 or whatever because it's a number of a name of a man. But the word 666 just simply means this. He's six, he's six, he's six. He never gets to seven. Proclaims himself of God, but he's just six, he's just six, he's just six. Get it? He never attains to divinity. God's number And the Holy Spirit's number are seven. And this is the way he describes it. Now remember, this number for perfection demonstrates that he's going to distribute himself in seven different motivations within the church. The second way to understand these gifts is the seven of the Holy Spirit. In the Greek distinctions of the words, that specific explanation of each of these gifts, the seven that we listed, are the word charisma, which means gift. Now, notice the expansion of these gifts. If you're, let's go back to Romans 12 for a minute. I want to show you something. You've got to move around the Bible here again, right, Darren? <laughs> Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Did you know that? <laughs> I've heard people look at a passage and they'd say, you know, I read a commentary, this means that, and I'm going to buy into what that commentary says. And then you find out when you start reading other passages that commentary is a bunch of bunk. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Notice the expansion of the gifts. Prophecy. What does this mean? It does not mean a fortune teller. It does not mean a future teller. Prophecy means to proclaim the truth. Now, the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets proclaim the truth about the future. They proclaim the truth about the present. They proclaim the truth about each other. 
And this, this gift basically is somebody who sees things as black and white, hates evil, doesn't even like to associate with so-called believers who live in a way below what they see in the Scripture. These are tough people to hang around with. <laughs> but look what he says about it. Romans 12, 9. Here's the expansion of prophecy. Let love be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? Don't choose your friends. Don't like one person more than another just because you think they're walking close to the Lord. Go ahead and abhor what is evil. Hate evil, it says, but cling to what is good. Do you see that? When we're dealing, when a prophet's dealing with you, he has to remember if somebody's living in sin or walking in sin or they're just too immature to know what they're doing, he's got to cling and find that good that God is doing in that person. And yes, hate the evil and prophesy against it or whatever. You know, I've had people say, we don't have enough preachers today to preach against sin. Preaching against sin does not accomplish anything. Preaching Christ does. Because when you get close to him, you're going to see yourself as a sinner. And you're going to cry out for help. Okay, well, there's another expansion. The person that serves. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. (coughs) If you have been called to sweep floors in the church, that may look like a demeaning thing to you. But remember that Jesus performed the most demeaning work of service by getting down on his knees and washing his disciples' feet because he's a servant. Okay, he says, a servant must be devoted to the body and love. He must give preference to one another. It means to humble themselves and think of others as greater than themselves. We all have to do this, guys. Teaching. You know, it's interesting about the teaching gift. If you study it in depth, you find out that it's not somebody that stands up and teaches as much as somebody who really loves research. (laughs) Really loves research. And that's why it says in verse 11, don't lag behind in diligence. In other words, be diligent in your research. Fervent in your spirit, serving the Lord. Now, the tendency of a teacher who's also a very intelligent person is to rely on his intelligence. But we can't do that. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to be fervent in spirit. We have to realize that we don't get nothing from the Word of God unless the Spirit of God gives it to us. And the teacher has to know this as he serves the Lord. How about the exhorter or the encourager? He has to have endurance. He has to be both continue to work with people and to persevere in tribulation. He has to be devoted to prayer. When I think of you during the week, and I say all of you, my heart goes out to you. I go to the Lord and I don't just say, Oh, Lord, bless Becky and bless Derek and bless Jordan. I ask God, what do you want me to pray about these people? What do they need to go on with you? This is the person who will come up to you when you're suffering, doggone it, (laughs) and quote Romans 8.28 to you. (laughs) Now we know God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and those called according to His purpose. And you go, 
oh, I've heard this a hundred times. Are you bringing this to me again? While you're suffering, you need to hear it. But the encourager goes beyond that and sees the image of God in that person. The encourager says, look what, where we're going, not what we're suffering. Look where we're going, not what we're enjoying. Look where we're going. This is not our home. Okay, now here's a gift nobody wants to admit they have, the gift of giving. <laughs> and you say, why don't, they, why don't they want to admit it? Well, because people who recognize your gift of giving kind of look to you to give when, you know, things, we start doing a little campaign to giving. Well, that's not right for us to do because most of these people are very secret about what they give. And they don't just give indiscriminately to anything. They know. They hear a, 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 a uh, a man from Global Hope or Campus Crusade or uh, a Romanian missionary or whatever or IMB and, and Nambi and they hear these people speak and they go, okay, I'm going to quietly make a gift to that person in some way. But the reason nobody wants to admit it is because they don't want to be known that their right hand knows what their left hand's doing. But it says, contribute to the needs of the saints and practice hospitality. That's another aspect of a person who has a gift of giving. They're very hospitable. They like having you in their home. The person with a gift of leading has a tough one, too. People naturally rebel against leadership, authority. They have a tendency to persecute or criticize severely those who are leaders. So what is that leader supposed to do? Well, he says in verse 14, this is what he's supposed to do. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In other words, when people criticize or persecute a leader in the church, they have to continue to bless those people in any way they can. In spite of how nasty someone may be towards you. (laughs) It's like putting a target on your chest to exercise this gift. But it is definitely a spiritual gift. Finally, those with the gift of mercy. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And may I just stop for a moment and pray for Paul Martin. Let's pray. Father, we lift up Paul to you. We know that he's gone through some devastating, difficult, severe suffering. We ask you to raise him up again, to help him to recover, to deliver him from this. Watch over him as he lays in that ICU. Pray for Kayla. I pray, Lord, for, the, for her to, to continue to trust you. She put that song out on the website, on the, on the uh, Facebook, and it was a beautiful song that Paul had written when he's not there with her to remember. Well, Lord, we need to remember that when we don't see you, you're still there. And Paul needs you now more than anything. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Emphasize with people quickly. Empathize. 
feel the hurt of others. But they not only weep with those who weep, they genuinely get excited when you get blessed. Instead of saying, well, I didn't get blessed that way, how come? This person with their gifts goes, wow, that's great. I'm so glad and happy for you. And they mean it. <laughs> that's the thing. They actually mean it, that they're happy for you. <clears throat> this kind of person can walk into a room full of believers and sense the mood in that room just like that. If you come in with a spirit of bitterness and you may not even know it, this person can sense that and is grieved in their heart that we're not working together in unity. I don't have this gift. You know that. My wife does. And sometimes she weeps. And sometimes she really gets happy about the things God is doing here. Now, What are the ministry and manifestation gifts? Let's look at them and go to 1 Corinthians 12 again. But I'll hold your finger there. Wet your finger and go over to Ephesians 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians 4. And then we'll come back. Again, we see the Trinity. Watch this. Verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of of your calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, you are called in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, that's Jesus, one faith and baptism in Him, one God and Father who is over all. See the Trinity? There it is again. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, he ascended. What does it mean that he also descended into the regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, that's five of the gifts of gifted men to the church. But let's go back to 1 Corinthians 12. And in verse 28, he has another list. These are ministries in the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helps, that's a servant, administration, that's leading, and tongues or languages. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8, he says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Oops, now we're talking about how the Spirit uses your gift to manifest His presence in the church. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice that. We're not to take pride in our gift. For, no, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, through this one spirit, to another effecting miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. Now, I'm not going to get into a, a message on tongues today, so you don't ask me to do that. If you want to know more about it, we can talk about it later. But 
this was this is the way he laid it out. Now, look at this. Word of wisdom. This is usually a counselor. Word of knowledge, learning, faith, an extraordinary kind. Somebody that just trusts God for everything. Healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, which is needed to discern when you're dealing with a demon. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. And by the way, I will tell you this. The word tongues here is the word language in the Bible. We'll do it. That's another time. So we have to remember that we need to focus on our motivational gift, one of the seven that God has given us. And that will accurately cause us to minister, and that will eventually cause a manifestation. Now, I'm running out of time. So after you go visit with Dennis and Barb today in the two different ministries we're talking about down the hall, take your coffee to your classroom. Um, I'm sorry, but I need to get this get this full completed. Here's one of the most important things. Verse 11 of chapter 12. By the one and same Spirit who works all these things, distributing to each individually as he wills. Get that. The Spirit of God works these things. He distributes and gifts and ministries individually as he wills. We have to realize this lest we fall into the trap that a lot of denominations have fallen into today that think that everybody is supposed to have a certain gift, the same gift, in order to be saved or to be properly filled with the Spirit. That is a lie. That is an absolute dark lie. You don't all, we don't all have to have the same gift. Wouldn't be very diverse if it was, would we? And then Paul illustrates this in verse 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gift of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? What? <laughs> I wonder if how these people miss this verse. And all do not interpret, do they? So in the nature of the church, Paul wraps this up by saying, earnestly desire the greater gifts that he describes in Romans 12. And here's a word to you today if you're here without Christ. I don't know that you're anybody here like that, but you may have certain talents. You may be able to play an instrument, really good at math, good conversationalist, maybe a persuasive salesman. That is not a spiritual gift. I've had people say, well, my gift is reading people at the door. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a ministry. In fact, unless you have Christ, you don't even have a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually praised. I would like you to encourage you to listen to the gospel real quickly today. The gospel is good news about our relationship with God or the lack thereof, our condition before him as we are sinful and unacceptable. He created us in the image of God to look like his character. Sin distorts that image and makes us of no use to God. In fact, he describes us as being dead in Ephesians 2.1. But God's love for us, even in our sin, caused him to take action. 
He loves us. He really loves us. So that even though we're sinners, we can approach God in a way that's pleasing to him. Because he says, since by one man sin came into the world, by one man sin was expiated. We're told in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, there's a lot in that verse that we could take that out and tear it out and preach on it for four or five weeks. God so loved you, he gave up to death in your deserved place his perfect, sinless, and only unique son. Poured out all his judgment and wrath on him, considered his death as a full payment for all sins, past, present, and future, then raised him up from third day to prove to you that it's a done deal, that it's finished, and gave him the keys of death and hell and life, and set him at his right hand as a constant reminder of the complete payment so that all who repent desire to do God's way, in other words, and put their trust in God's testimony of his son and his sacrifice for you, he imparts eternal life and gives his Holy Spirit to that person (laughs) to be with him forever. That's really good news. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in the remaining minutes. And as you do, um, I want you to think about this. When we get to heaven, we're told that we're going to be like him. We'll see him as he is. We're going to have bodies like Jesus, but not exactly. Remember, when he appeared to the disciples and they could hardly believe it was him, he held up his hand. And what did he see? Scars. He kept the scars. We won't have any scars. But he kept them so that when we're with him for all eternity, we'll always be reminded of the cost for us to be there. And we'll always be reminded of the love that he went to to get us there. And we'll always be reminded that when we take the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death till he comes, that we just can't wait for that day. Amen.